Hello everyone and welcome back to SMS. On today's episode, we are going to do Tuesday's chapters, which is I will be reading a single chapter from one of my novels. And every Tuesday, it's going to be the next chapter. Now, this particular book has got 31 chapters, and this would be chapter one. So please stay tuned for that. Right, I am your host, Sheldon McCarthy, and this book is titled The Unexplainable Events of Valeriano Vettani. That is an Italian name for an Austrian man. Now, we will get to the story now. Firstly, I would like to tell you, you can find all my social medias in the description below. Twitter, you can tweet me suggestions for shows. You can tweet me comments on my content or whatever you feel like at Sheldon Piano. Please feel free to do that. Also, all novels and literature which I will be reading are copyright protected. So please keep that in mind. Okay, let's get right to it. The Unexplainable Events of Valeriano Vettani. Prologue. Paris, France, February 1769. Marie Vettani, a young Austrian woman no older than 23, with burning red hair, forest green eyes and winter white skin like porcelain, was running through the streets of Paris exposed to the bitter cold air, trying desperately to get away from a dark force that was chasing her. In her arms she was carrying something of extraordinary value, in a certain world that is, not one in which you or I will ever find ourselves at home. She was out of breath and out of luck. The force chasing her was bloodthirsty and had every intention to kill her and take her precious item and use it for its own evil purposes. The darkness of the creature was hot on Marie's heels, trying to slow her down, trying to corner her in the darkness of the snowy French night. The clouds were thick and heavy over the city, covering absolutely everyone and everything under a heaviness and an unpleasant atmosphere as the snow heaped up in the streets. Marie found herself in thought as she was running. She wondered how she was suddenly at a point where she was running for her life while carrying her precious cargo, away from a creature she didn't even know existed until the day before. But that didn't seem to matter now as she was where she was and the dark fog of the creature was drawing nearer and nearer to her. Breathing heavily as she made her way through the thick snow, she made a sudden turn down one of the back alleys of the city only to find she had made a deadly mistake. It was a dead end. Her life was over, and she knew it. She turned to face the creature as it came around the corner. The black cloud that seemed to be the creature materialized and turned into a dark, horrid woman with pitch-black eyes and an almost gravestone-like complexion. Her long, jet-black hair hung loose over her shoulders, almost disappearing in the slenderness of her equally thin black dress. They stared into each other's eyes before the woman lunged forward with a pitch black spike forming out of her right hand and stabbed Marie right through the heart. There was a sudden burst of blinding white light before everything settled into darkness. Chapter 1. Events Before Events. The day before. 
A lovely crisp winter's morning filled the French air with promise and expectation. The skies were bluer than blue, with none but a single white cloud in the far distance. The cobbled streets of Paris were white with the snow that fell the previous evening. The sound of horses, carts and carriages rolling down the streets could be heard all over the clear city. There were beautiful ladies walking with their handsome men at their side, wearing nothing extravagant, of course, but quite decent nonetheless. They were staring at all the gleeful children playing in the snow around them, the little boys running around all the people, having a snowball fight, occasionally hitting some passers-by accidentally, then running away so they wouldn't get into trouble. The girls, on the other hand, were, if anything, more sensible than the hooligan boys. They were spending their time building snowmen with twig arms, cold smiles and coal eyes. Traditionally, one would use a carrot for the nose of a snowman, I suppose, but this being France in the 18th century, food, like carrots, was scarce, and when found, they would most definitely not be wasted on snowmen. So the girls had to come up with something else. Very cleverly, they noticed that there were icicles hanging down from the roofs of the buildings around them. They found a rather attractive young man, with hair as black as coal and eyes like grey-blue ice, to help them break some of the icicles off the roofs of the old buildings to use them as snowmen noses. Of course, the young girls didn't realise he was attractive, partly because he was much older than they were, and partly because they were too taken up with finishing their snowmen. The air was filled with the smell of fresh, warm bread and pastries coming from the old bakery on the corner of the street. But our story is not one of children playing in the snow, or pretty ladies walking about. Our story begins with that young man which helped the girls collect icicles. He was quite well dressed for the area he found himself in. He was obviously wearing clothes which no one in that street could afford. However, no one held it against him, as he would walk down the street every morning and buy some fresh bread from the bakery and coal for the fires in his house. He would also buy some hay for his horses and candles to light his home. He always came to the blacksmith in the street when his horses needed new shoes or if he wanted a new sword or small knife. The blacksmith's wife was the housekeeper at this young man's house, and he knew the whole family quite well. So he was a big supporter of the people in that street, and everyone knew it, hence everyone's great respect and admiration for him. Sometimes what was quite unusual was that no one in the town knew what the man's name was, Valeriano Vetani, not even the blacksmith or his wife. Now this young man had quite the history behind him, but of course no one apart from himself and his wife knew what it was, some things not even his wife knew about. He was born in February 1744 into a very wealthy family. His father, an Italian man, made his fortune when he came to France as a humble carpenter. He started working for a good old man and a tutor in Paris. But the time came when his employer passed away. He left the workshop for Val's father. He soon began working for the royals and the aristocracy of France, crafting very extravagant furniture for them. At this stage, he was working alone and was doing quite well indeed, but the time came when he could no longer manage everything alone. He finally decided to employ someone to help him in his workshop. As time went on, he continued to expand his business until he was building and furnishing the aristocrats' huge mansions and villas in which they would throw their extravagant balls and lavish parties. Val's mother, on the other hand, was a French seamstress, quite down to earth, 
a young peasant girl, started off working for Madame de la Rouge in her boutique. Madame de la Rouge was a horrible person. She could almost be described as a slave driver or even a tyrant, who took credit for making all the wonderful dresses her employees made and only gave them 2% of the profits she made off of, e off of each dress. At this stage, the boutique La Rouge was the talk of the town in Paris. All the aristocrats from the whole of France went to the boutique to buy those expensive dresses for their lavish balls. Anyway, the day came when all La Rouge's seamstresses had enough and they all left to find employment elsewhere. Some went to Milan in Italy to start their own boutiques there. Others stayed in France and went to different parts of the country to spread their fashion wings. They all left Madame de la Rouge high and dry, and because la Rouge had such a terrible reputation on the streets, she couldn't find anyone who was willing to work for her in her boutique. She received orders that she could not complete on her own, and after a few weeks the boutique closed down. Until this happened, Val's mother was unemployed, but when she heard that the boutique had closed down, she saw an opportunity and jumped at it. The aristocracy now had no one to make their dresses anymore, so she decided she would start her own boutique to cater for the aristocrats. She named the new boutique Habil Dubilait, dressed in humility. The best part of all was that when her business started doing well, news spread, and a certain Miss La Rouge came asking if there was any little scrap of work. This made her mother feel very proud and flattered. I think if it were you or I, we would have made La Rouge a maid or a cleaner in the boutique, but his mother was ever the gracious soul and offered La Rouge a job as a seamstress. Needless to say, La Rouge became more agreeable person after that. His mother and father were both very successful in their own fields, but because they were so busy running their businesses, neither of them married at a young age. The day came when his mother and father found themselves in a huge villa. She had come to take the lady of the house's measurements for a new dress, whilst his father was discussing changes that were to be made to the home with the man of the house. They ran into each other there and started talking, but nothing happened. A few weeks went by and they met again at another house in the same circumstances. Again they started talking, this time more relaxed and friendly, as they had seen each other before. Nothing happened, just like previously. A few more weeks went by and they found themselves face to face once again. This time he took charge and told her that he thought it was fate that had brought them together and that they should get married. At this stage they were both getting on in age and were about 37, 38. Quite taken by surprise, she was reluctant to say anything and slowly moved away from him. She turned around and walked away quite flustered. That evening she was sitting in her home, thinking about what had happened. She found herself wondering what it would have been like if she had said yes to the man. She started thinking of the family with children and that man as her husband. She smiled with joy and then realized she was imagining that life. She immediately dismissed those thoughts and told herself that it was not at all possible because she had to run her shop and that would take up too much time to have a family. Rather discouraged, she blew out the candle and went to sleep. But the following day, she accidentally overslept and woke up with a shock to the 10 a.m. bells from Notre Dame. In a frenzy, she jumped out of bed, rushed through a morning routine and ran as fast as she could to the shop 
Upon arriving at the boutique, she saw that it was already open. She went inside and found Miss LaRouge and her other seamstresses already working and running the shop. She was pleasantly surprised and very grateful to her employees. She then realized they could run her shop on their own and that it might be possible to start a family. Thinking about all this, she wished that the charming man she spoke with the day before would have asked her to be married that day. A bit miserable at the thought, she went to her office and closed the door. There she stayed most of the day until she heard a man's voice in the shop. She heard her seamstresses speaking to the man and she heard them talking about her. Then he asked where she was and they told him that she was unavailable, but he would not take that as an answer. He stormed into her office with her seamstresses chasing in right behind him, apologizing that he just burst through. She looked at the man and she couldn't believe it. It was the same man who proposed to her the day before. She told the seamstresses that everything was all right. She knew the man and she continued to say that they may leave them alone in the office. The seamstresses left the room and closed the door. Of course, the seamstresses were too curious to just leave the two of them. So they made turns sitting at the keyhole of the door, trying to hear the conversation. The man was just about to start talking when she interrupted him with only a single word. Yes. He was taken by surprise and asked if that meant that she would marry him. She said, yes, that is exactly what I mean. Extremely happy, he threw himself around her and gave her a kiss. He firmly took her in his arms, careful not to damage her porcelain-like complexion. And with the first kiss, she could feel the passion of his gentle kiss flowing through her veins. She could feel the thoughts going through his mind and the love that was binding them together. In that single moment, she saw their entire lives together in her mind. She saw the happiness, the sadness, the love, the anger, the passion, the sorrow, the wonder, the excitement, the joy, and so much more. She saw all this in that one kiss. He asked her what had changed her mind, and she just said simply, everything. They got married shortly afterwards, and she wore an absolutely breathtaking gown that was designed and made by none other than Miss La Rouge. They built a lovely little house in the centre of town that was close to both his workshop and her boutique. Needless to say, they gave their employees more responsibility and spent most of their days together in their new, wonderfully built and furnished home. Eighteen months later, in February 1744, they had a beautiful baby boy with hair as black as coal and eyes like grey-blue ice. The young man was born and named Valeriano Vetani, or Val for short. They gave him his mother's last name, why, I don't know. It seemed like a happy ending, but it was only the beginning of a tragic story. As Valeriano grew older, strange things started to happen around him. The first unexplainable event happened when he was only about six months old. His father was at the workshop that day and he was home alone with his mother. Somewhere in the seasonal change, he picked up a cold and was feeling very much under the weather. He was in his crib crying and screaming for his mother to help him and comfort him. She was busy warming up some milk to give to him when he became quiet. Suddenly his crib fell over with a huge bang. His mother got a huge fright at the loud noise and turned around to see the crib on its side. She felt a cold chill running down her spine. 
She ran to the crib to comfort the child and see if he had been hurt in the fall as she didn't hear him make a sound. She feared the worst had happened. There were blankets lying on the floor and his mother was looking frantically to find her baby, but he wasn't there. She could hear her heart beating in her ears. The thought that she might have lost her baby was overwhelming and she started looking all over the house, running from room to room, everywhere to find her dear little boy. She thought someone must have taken him for a ransom, as everyone knew they were quite wealthy. She ran up the stairs to look if the thief might still be in the house. She looked in every room but couldn't find anyone or anything. At this stage, she was hysterical, running through the house screaming for someone to help her find her child. She heard a rumble downstairs and ran back down into the kitchen. What she saw stopped her dead in her tracks. She felt quite the breeze in the room as she entered. Her precious child was sitting on top of the kitchen table, with all the dining plates they had floating in a spiral around the boy. One of the pots that were in the cupboard came floating out towards the boy. It moved slowly and steadily through the air and manoeuvred through the floating plates. It set itself down right in front of the boy on the table. The boy at this stage was just sitting with his finger in his mouth, dead quiet looking at the pot while his mother was pale white in the face and frozen, staring at what was happening. The pot in front of the boy suddenly filled with milk, but not from a jug or a bucket. It was just appearing out of thin air. When the pot was full of milk, the boy tilted his head while looking at the pot. The milk started warming up and soon was boiling on top of the kitchen table with no fire under it. His mother, still frozen in fear, not sure how to react to what was happening. The warm milk started to stir itself in the pot and started forming a vortex. It was rising out of the pot in a graceful flow towards the boy. The boy was looking at the unbelievable spectacle, not knowing that it was unusual. With a smile on his face, he opened his mouth and the milk moved slowly towards his open mouth. It formed a small stream right in front of the boy and then stopped. The boy moved forward and started drinking the boiling milk right out of the air. At this stage his mother stepped in and grabbed him off the table because she thought the boiling milk would burn him. When she picked him up, everything that was floating in the air, the plates, the pot, the milk, everything dropped out of the sky and crashed onto the floor. There was a colossal crash and shatter as the fine china splintered into hundreds of pieces. The baby immediately started crying again when his mother took him into her arms. A few hours later, when Val was asleep and she had finally finished cleaning the mess, she was puzzled at the thought of what had happened. She told her husband and he thought she was joking. He didn't believe her and told her that she must not repeat the tall tale to anyone in town because they had a reputation to uphold and had to avoid becoming a laughingstock. There we go, everyone. That is chapter one of Unexplainable Events of Valeriano Vettani. Excuse my um, appalling reading skills. I do not read very well out loud, as you have noticed. But anyway, that's it for today. I'll be back tomorrow with a new episode. Please stay tuned. Be kind, be patient, be there. See you in the next one.